believers who will be living at the time of the seven-year tribulation period. It certainly can't be the generation of the apostles. They died 2,000 years ago. Jesus told his disciples, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. But which generation was he referring to? Many have made the wrong assumption, which has produced a lot of confusion. We're glad you have joined us for today's class of Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel is our instructor. He has been pastor at Lakeside for over 30 years. His verse-by-verse study of God's Word has been of great help to countless Christians and encouraged them in their walk with the Lord. Our prayer is that you will also be blessed by these in-depth studies. You might tell a friend about these broadcasts so they too can benefit from them. At the end of our class, I'll tell you how you can listen to this study again or download it for future reference. In today's study, Pastor Steve will continue the message he began in our last class on the time of Christ's return. He clarifies from Scripture which generation Jesus was talking about. These studies are taken from Matthew chapter 24, a passage known as the Olivet Discourse. Open your Bible to Matthew 24 and verse 31 as Steve explains what all these things mean. Here is Steve. Fifth there'll be cosmic disturbances in the heavens which will be capped off by the primary and supreme sign of Christ's return, as someone called it, the sign of signs, which is Christ himself illuminating the darkened universe. He'll turn the lights out in the universe. Then he will come in a blaze of glory. He'll come in the clouds of the sky in great power, great glory, as he lights up the darkened sky with the radiance of his glory. We read this. In verses 29 and 30, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give up its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign, here's the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And Jesus said at that time in verse 31, he said, then the angels are going to collect all the believers across the planet and bring them to him. Now, this is where we left off here with Jesus giving the fifth and the last of the signs of his coming. However, if you'll recall As I mentioned, the disciples had not only asked for a sign, but they also said, Lord, when, when will you appear? That's what verse 3 tells us. They wanted to know when will these things happen. But up to this point, up to this point, Jesus has said said nothing about when he would appear. He's just spoken about the signs that will point to his appearing. But all that's about to change. Because starting with verse 32, Jesus proceeds to give a parable about a fig tree and then some other information pertinent to his return that does address the question of when he's coming back. And that is the focus of our passage this morning and next week, the the time of Christ's return. As the passage unfolds, we see two basic truths about his return, about the time of his return. Number one, the time of his return, he tells us, is near. 
Number two, the time of his return has not been revealed to anyone. We'll look at that next week. But this morning, we want to look at the first truth that the Lord teaches here about the time of his return. And that is the time of his return is near. So we begin by looking at verse 32. He said, now learn the parable from the fig tree. The Lord begins this section by calling his disciples to to learn a certain truth from a, a parable that he's about to give them concerning the fig tree. Now, once again, I remind you that a parable is essentially an earthly story or concept, but usually a story that conveys a spiritual truth. You can put it this way. It's an earthly story that teaches a heavenly truth. In this case, Jesus chose something that all of his Jewish followers would be very familiar with in order to teach them an important truth about when he would return. He chose a common fig tree, a tree that grew in abundance in Israel in those days, and especially on the Mount of Olives. And it's very likely that that within sight of our Lord was a fig tree on the Mount of Olives, and he probably used it as a visual aid. But even if there wasn't a fig tree nearby, certainly what the Lord said about the fig tree was common knowledge to all of these men that he spoke to. And what did he say? Verse 32. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. This is really a very simple verse. This is really a very simple truth to understand. The danger is when people want to read into this something that's not there. You see, most of the trees in Israel at the time of Jesus, and for all I know today, were evergreens. Therefore, they didn't change much with the seasons. That's why they're called evergreens. However, this was not the case with the fig tree. When the sap begins to flow into the branches of a fig tree, it makes them tender. It makes them very soft. And new leaves begin to appear. And when observers in Israel would see those leaves on a fig tree, they knew that it was springtime. That was a sign. It's springtime, and therefore summer was near. As we would put it, it was right around the corner. In fact, because it was Passover time that Jesus spoke these words, it's very likely that the budding of new leaves on the fig fig trees in the area had already begun. That's why I say it's very likely that there was a visual aid within sight. Now, that's the simple earthly story of the parable. Nothing complicated, really nothing hard to comprehend about this. You don't need to be uh, an expert in trees. It's just laid out there for us. Just the obvious fact that a fig tree with tender branches and emerging leaves indicate that summer is near. It's just a truism that everybody would acknowledge. However, as with all the parables that Jesus gave, there was a spiritual lesson, an important heavenly truth that was to be learned. In fact, that's why Jesus said, learn the parable from the fig tree. In other words, he wanted them to learn an important lesson. That's what he's saying. And the, and the Lord communicates what that lesson is In verse 33, here's the lesson. So you too, when you see all of these things, recognize that he, or it's actually in the Greek, it is, meaning he or the kingdom, 
is near, right at the door. When you see all these things, recognize that he's near, right at the door. Looking down the prophetic corridors of time, the Lord tells us that the believers who see all these things, meaning all these things happening, should recognize that his coming is near. It's very close. But what are all the things that the Lord was referring to? You see, by identifying all these things, that's the key to understanding the meaning of this parable and the time when the Lord will return. Because Jesus said that when believers see all of these things, that's when he will be right at the door, meaning that he'll be knocking on the door ready to come in. In other words, when they see all these things taking place, his return is soon to follow. So, question is this, what then are all these things that the Lord said believers would see take place that would indicate the time of his appearing was very close? Listen closely. All these things that he was talking about are the very signs during the tribulation period that he's just spelled out to them. That's the context. Remember, when the Lord taught this, he didn't take a month break. He's just teaching this in the flow. He's just talked about these. All these things could mean nothing else than the things he's been talking about. The signs, the counterfeit messiahs, the increase in conflicts between nations, the rise of calamities on the, on the earth, earthquakes, famines, plagues, unparalleled persecution of believers led by the Antichrist, and cosmic disturbances in the heavens. Those are the signs. Those are the events. In other words, what the Lord is saying is, is that when Christians living during that tribulation period see these signs, these events taking place, they'll know that the time of his appearing is near. As near as if he was knocking on a door and about to enter someone's home. That's the point. Listen, this is not complicated. This is not hard to understand. This is not a difficult parable. The Lord is simply saying that just as a fig tree with tender branches and new leaves indicate that summer is right around the corner. So the occurring of signs, the signs he's just laid out during the tribulation period, will indicate that his coming is right around the corner too. And to emphasize just how near his coming is to those tribulation signs, the Lord makes a further statement about it in verse 34. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, once again, we need to ask an important question. What generation is our Lord referring to? And the answer, based once again on the context of his words, is that this is the same generation he's been talking about throughout the entire chapter. It's the generation of believers who will be alive during the seven-year tribulation period. Those who believe in him, his followers, who will be living at the time of the seven-year tribulation period. It certainly can't be the generation of the apostles. They died 2,000 years ago. All the apostles died 2,000 years ago. John was the last one to die, and we believe that he 
died somewhere between 90 A.D. and a few years after that. Can't be referring to the apostles' generation. They died out. And Jesus said that that generation that he was referring to will not pass away until all these signs take place. And he returns. Now, keep in mind, this is important, and we noted this before. Although Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse to his apostles, they're the men who asked, they're the men he's verbally speaking to on the Mounts of Olives. He spoke to them, though, in much the same way as an Old Testament prophet addressed his message to a future generation. The prophets spoke to Israel at the time, but, it, but many of the things they said did not pertain to the generation standing in front of them, but to a future generation. And that's the way the Lord is speaking here. It's a, it's a prophetic distance in which he's talking. That is to say, he directed his words to the apostles, but he always had in mind that what he was saying to them would be lived out and applied to that particular generation of believers who will be alive during the time of the tribulation and then his return. And that's clearly what he is doing here in saying that the generation that sees these things will not die off until all these signs that point to his return come to pass. Now keep in mind, it is certainly true that individuals who belong to that tribulation generation will die before the Lord returns. The Lord isn't saying that everybody of that generation will live. No, they obviously will die. We've already seen that from our previous studies that many believers will be martyred, martyred for their faith during the tribulation time. Antichrist will see to that. But what Jesus is saying is that that particular generation of believers as a whole, as an entity, as a class of people, will not die out and pass away until everything he said about the signs of the tribulation, as well as his return, takes place. And you know what? That's not hard to fathom. And I'll tell you why. Because remember, the entire tribulation period is only seven years. Only seven years. And Christ's coming will be so soon after the close of the tribulation that the generation living during that period of time won't have time to all pass away. It's just seven years. A generation is a lot longer than that. Now, Christ's point in giving this parable about the fig tree in relation to when he's returning is really, as I said, and I want to emphasize this, it's so simple, it's designed to be so uncomplicated and so straightforward that it is hard to imagine that anybody could miss the obvious. And you know what I'm going to say next. Some have missed the obvious. His point has been missed by many, far too many, and as a result of all of that, this part of Matthew 24 has been misinterpreted by quite a few believers. And the reason for this misinterpretation is because, as I've said, some have decided to read more into Christ's statement about the fig tree than he ever intended or meant to say. See, there are some who contend that when Jesus spoke about the fig tree, he was using it in a symbolic way as as representing the nation of Israel, the budding nation of Israel, if you will. 
Therefore, they believe his statement about the budding of new leaves was a reference to Israel becoming a budding new nation, which did take place in May of 1948. Therefore, based on this interpretation, the generation that sees the rebirth of Israel won't die is then taken to mean that since a generation, they say, those who hold to this, a generation is about 40 years, then Jesus was saying that he will return sometime between the years 1948 and 1988. But 88, 1988 has come. It's gone. And Jesus didn't return. Now, some who hold to this view try to get around this by saying, well, it's not that sure that 40 years is a generation. It could be more. It could be 80 years, maybe even longer. One well-known Bible teacher who espoused this view was Hal Lindsey, the author of the popular book back in the 1970s called The Late Great Planet Earth. Lindsey believed and taught that the fig tree represented Israel and that the rebirth of Israel was the official countdown to Christ's soon return and that the generation viewing all the events from 1948 on would not die out until Christ returned. Now, how do we know that this isn't what Jesus meant? How do we know that? How do we know this isn't what Jesus meant in the parable of the fig tree? Because, frankly, there is an example in the Gospels, at least on one occasion that we know of, where Jesus did use a fig tree very clearly to speak of Israel. You don't need to turn there, but I'll just tell you from Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 11, verse 14, we're told that Jesus cursed a fig tree because it was fruitless. It bore no fruit. It wasn't that he was agitated because he couldn't eat that day from its fruit. No, he cursed it as a way of conveying the spiritual lifelessness of the nation of Israel and God's coming judgment upon the nation for her spiritual barrenness. So it is true that there were times that Jesus spoke of the fig tree in reference to Israel. But that doesn't mean that every time a fig tree is mentioned in Scripture or used by Jesus, it always referred to Israel. And there's very good reason why we know that here in Matthew 24, this parable, Jesus wasn't using the fig tree as a symbolic reference to Israel. Why do I say that? How can we know that? Because there is what's called a parallel passage. A parallel passage is in another gospel account. One of the gospel writers, in this case Luke, gives us information that Matthew does not give us. We get a, a broader picture in Luke 29, or 21 rather, verse 29. Luke quotes Jesus as saying, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. That's a significant statement in all the trees. See, the Lord was just using the fig tree as representative of all fruit trees, not as a specific symbol of Israel. He's just talking about all the fruit trees, the fig tree being an example. Now, if that isn't enough to convince you that the fig tree isn't a picture of the Jewish nation, at least not here, they consider the fact that if Jesus did mean the rebirth of Israel, that nobody would have understood what he was talking about until 1948. And that flies in the face of the purpose of Christ giving parables to believers. Jesus made it very clear 
in Matthew chapter 13. You can look it up yourself in Matthew 13. He said to you, I speak and I'm paraphrasing. I speak these parables so that you understand about the kingdom. But I speak parables to unbelievers so as to conceal information from them. Parables were confusing to unbelievers, but not confusing to believers. Whenever it was a little hard to understand, Jesus sat down with them and explained the meaning of a parable. Parables are not given to God's people so that we don't understand them. Parables are given for us so that we would understand what he was talking about. Now, if Jesus is talking here about something that nobody would figure out until 1948, then that, that is a conflict with the purpose of a parable. Listen, the whole point of Christ's statement about the tribulation generation not passing away until they see all the signs leading up to his return and then the return itself is for them to comprehend that he was giving his people a wonderful promise. This is a great promise, which is specifically that he's not going to stretch out these end time events indefinitely. There's an end. There's an end. See, the disciples wanted to know, when will you appear? That was their question. And the Lord's answer to them is this, soon after the signs take place. In fact, so soon will my coming follow these signs that once they begin to unfold, you can bank on it that my appearance is very close. So close, so close that the generation of believers living at that time won't have time to die off. They will see my second coming. Now, that is the point. Jesus has left us a definite promise that he's coming again and his coming will shortly follow the, the end time events that he's outlined up to this point in the Olivet Discourse. And yet, folks, most people living today couldn't care less about Christ's promise concerning his return. Couldn't care less. They're either indifferent to the promise of his coming or they mock it. They scoff it because it just seems completely irrelevant to them. And quite frankly, to some, it seems laughable that God's people, after all of these years, would still be this naive to think that Jesus will return. We can expect the world to scoff at what we believe from God's holy word. They either don't believe in Christ's return or they choose to ignore it. Either way, they feel they don't have to answer to a holy God or give an account of how they've lived their lives. In our next class session, we will see why the doctrine of the return of Jesus Christ should be an encouragement and a blessing to every believer. A proper understanding of this great truth will help keep us focused on heaven and not this material world we live in. Verse by Verse comes to you from Lakeside Community Chapel, 1893 Sunset Point Road, Clearwater, Florida. If you are looking for a home church, we would encourage you to visit Lakeside for one of their services. The chapel's phone number is 727-442-1714. Call for information on service times. Thank you for being with us in class today. This message and many others are available for free downloading or streaming at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can sign up for our free podcasting service and the free monthly newsletter. 
While there, you may wish to help support this ministry by contributing towards the expense of producing and airing these valuable studies. Just click on the Donate button. We would also be blessed if you would faithfully pray for the ministry. If you would rather mail your contribution, our address is Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Thanks for caring and sharing. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. The Bible says that no one can serve two masters because one has to be more powerful than the other. This principle is seen plainly in Exodus 1, where the king of Egypt ordered that all male children be put to death immediately. The Israelite women feared God more than they feared government and refused to sacrifice their children at the altar of the king's order. Like Bob Dylan once famously sang about, you're going to have to